Welcome to the Right Sound Podcast with Arya Deslitz and Colin C. Hello, we are back after an extended hiatus because we did a very small life change <laughs> of moving a very small distance of over 3,000 miles. Yeah, that was no small feat at all. <laughs> Four days in the car with cats. Yep. That was a lot of days. <laughs> in the end, though, it's it was worth it for us. We met on the West Coast, and we did a whole tour of the West Coast, <laughs> and much, now yeah. we're back. <laughs> It's 20 years for me on the West Coast and felt like time to change it up. See snow. Are yeah. you so excited? I'm so excited. Guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just enjoying the uh, fruits of our efforts, I, I'll say. It's been, it's been good. Yeah. But that brings us back to the podcast, finally. And I know it's been a while, and this is a new season, I guess, of the podcast, and we got some, got some things to talk about. This conversation stemmed, I think, from me... I've been finding a new book community to connect with, and in the interim of me not having a book community to connect with, Colin had to listen to... <laughs> All of my reviews of the books that I've read. <laughs> she had a captive audience yeah. in me. <laughs> um, so we started talking about production versus like the creative side of art. And then consuming that as someone who is an artist and a fellow producer. Yeah, because you would talk to me about books that you weren't, you know, like head over heels in love with. And I would be like, well, you're too good at this point. You know, why are you, in a sense, slumming it with books that you're not always that positive about? You know, <laughs> Ira Glass has a great quote that's, you know, you have to close the gap. And at the beginning of any creative life, you go, well, I really enjoy this whatever it is in your art, your writing, your music, and you want to do it. But there's a gap between you starting that out and being good at it. And a lot of people don't take the time to close it, do the work, get to a point. And I feel like you're well at that point. I have read a lot of books in my lifetime. Yeah. I find it harder to consume books for the fun of it, which is sad because I love reading and I love writing but there's a part of me that if the production isn't of a certain caliber then I get frustrated by it because I spend so much time teaching myself so many different aspects of my creative work as someone who does all of it you have to train yourself on grammar, on the production, on the formatting, on well, proofreading. Even the covers for you, because you yeah. design all your own covers. I think that plays to the um, 
kind of world that we live in now is that if you want to do stuff independently and you're not tied to a big publishing deal or a big record label, you are in a DIY mind and you have to kind of go through all of those pieces by yourself. And that's another thing you have to learn. And that's how I picked up on engineering because, you know, I wanted to make music, but there's a level of professionalism that goes along with having a song available to someone to hear in a way that's common to them and it's not them going oh this sounds weird because you didn't do it as you know to the level of perfection that is expected of it so yeah i mean you've you've come both in the writing aspect but also in the post-production i would call it of of working in your craft so my question to you is how do you separate the production of the song from the song itself, because obviously there is still value in certain pieces, even if they don't have the highest production. But what I'm finding is that I end up homing in on like one aspect of something and it takes me so far out of the story that it that it pulls me too far out of the enjoyment. Right. Yeah. I think you have to have, in my mind, a delineation between the two brain halves that you have. There's like enjoyment of anything, even in writing the song or writing the piece that's not um, reliant on you thinking about the grammar, or in my case, thinking about how the snare drum has to be EQ'd. And if you can keep that element of yourself when you spend time away and you're enjoying the stuff that you enjoy and remembering in a sense to like, I'm here to enjoy this. Um, I also think for me, it's helpful to not be so absorbed in the style of music that I'm making. Like if I leave the studio after working on my own stuff and I'm going to go cook dinner, I put on a record that's, you know, a 180 from what I'm working on because that way I'm not thinking about any of the creative aspects of how they made that or did they do this or do they do that or can I incorporate that because it's a lot of the times what happens right you look at some other piece of art and you go well that's inspiring me to do something and I think in a way at the beginning of your creativity that's really good because it gives you that time period to mimic and we all start off mimicking and then you sort of find yourself within the mimicking and it morphs into your own thing. So that's a great way for me to kind of just detach and enjoy. But I do have moments. <laughs> I'll hear a piece of music, um, especially in the studio, you know, on the monitors that, why did you make that decision? Why does this sound like that? Why didn't you go in and take away the S's on the S sounds of the vocal that can drive me a little crazy? Or what was that album we were listening to in the car? And I was like, oh, I really don't like the mix. The New Church's record. I felt like that was mixed so top-heavy that all I was experiencing in my engineering brain <laughs> was how SEC sounded, how the cymbals and the hi-hats were just too much. And thinking to myself, wow, this is, this is distracting me from enjoying the album because it is a good record. They wrote good songs. So I just have to learn to turn it off. And I think that's a hard thing to do at first when you're so involved in how, like, all the minutiae of doing 
the technical things that when other people don't do it, you're like, oh, what's wrong with you? Right? Yeah. You just said a lot. So. <laughs> um, <laughs> hey, it's I'm been gonna, a while, so I got yeah. stuff to say. For no, a I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scroll back to what you said a little bit ago, which is that you listen to something different than what you're yeah. creating. And I think for me, because I'm still focused a lot on my young adult work, I have a tendency to be really forgiving when I read more adult literature right now. I'm just thinking about this, and I'm like... Yeah, if I open an adult book or a new adult book or a spicy book or something like that, I'm a lot more willing to lose myself in the story because I think with young adult work, I'm coming from a very analytical perspective of what makes this work and why do I like it and why do I not like it? Because then I'm going to go and apply that to my own writing, apply those lessons as it were. But I've spent so much time in the learning spectrum that I think it's hard for me to turn that off. Something that does help me turn it off too is consuming it in a different medium is the audiobooks is being able to listen to it instead of reading it because I think sometimes I'll find little phrases that I'm like well that's a little weird because it just sounds weird when someone's speaking it but if I'm reading it I would be like that's a horrible sentence <laughs> Yeah, why kicks, is that in here why did yeah. no one edit that out and i and get like more right out of yeah it, it kicks right. me right yeah. out of it whereas you know if i'm listening feeling. to it i'm like that's a little awkward but no. i keep going with the story so i think that switching methods is or switching mediums i think does help quite quite a bit so then that leads to the question of if the technical aspects of what you're reading is not great but the story's good. Is there a way for the story to supersede that feeling of like, well, there's not enough polish here? In theory, I want to review books, but as an author, I mm, don't yeah, really want to review books. It's a fine um, line. So I keep like a journal and there's certain books where I've rated the plot a five and the characters a one because the characters were flat, but the plot was really good you know so because it's taking that analytical side of it that you can enjoy certain aspects of a book you can really like the idea of the book but maybe not the execution and does that make it a horrible book no but does it make it automatically go to the top of my i'm gonna reread this i need to own it on my shelf i need to display it to everyone i need to recommend it to everyone no Right. Well, that leads into the, you know, internet culture that we live in is if you're putting out that negativity as well, you don't want that wrapping back around or you don't want to be known as like the author who doesn't like that author. or You know, there's a whole almost politicalness that you have to kind of wear on your sleeve when you're in the public space that you don't you don't want to piss people off too much i think that's a whole nother podcast yeah. <laughs> that'll be our next podcast how yeah. to not piss off other people in yeah. your field it's, there is something to be said about analyzing books before you jump into it yourself now you don't necessarily have to do that in a public way 
I would encourage it to not be done in a public way at all. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, especially in music, a lot of people get very happy that they've written their first song and they want everyone to hear their first song, like coming home from grade school with your finger paintings and wanting mom to put it on the fridge. It's like, this is so good. It's not good. And that's fine. That goes, you know, again, oh, I always talk about the gap with Ivor Glass because I think it's so perfect for that. But looping back to our subject topic so can you find material that is okay that's not perfect in the in the production of it and the editing and i'm gonna say no just based on our conversations i think you can have a really compelling idea without it being perfect so there's this really good phrase that's kind of funny that is reading is just staring at a dead piece of wood for hours and hallucinating <laughs> but <laughs> it's like it's a little bit more than that because can you lose yourself in the hallucination of the fictional world if there's constant items that are making you question how mm -hmm. the hallucination is supposed to go an example of this i I can't remember the author, but there was someone who wrote so compelling, but all of their action sequences were so confusing that I had to skim them to the end because the rest of the work was brilliant. It was well written, but action sequences are a different entirety thing. Like you can be a great describer and a great storyteller but stink at like the physical where people are located in a fight sequence because can, it, it's yeah. it's hard to do i mean you've seen it in movies all the time just to take us out of the writing world is where like the rest of the movie is great but then that fight sequence you're like whoa <laughs> <laughs> or the other way around where the yeah fights where the fight sequence, and the movie's yeah. bunch of crap <laughs> yeah so it's a different realm and i remember reading this book and just being like wow this is a great story but these action sequences are they leave something to be desired there's certain elements that can trap you into a story can enrapture you and bring you in but i think every author myself included has their weakness and i think mine is is that i don't have a lot of description which some people view as a perk because a lot of people have said the way that your writing is is more like a movie. You're being engrossed in the world, but you're not being given too much. So for some people, that works. Other people want more grounding. So it that is where style comes into play. Sure. Yeah. I couldn't imagine writing an action sequence because... That must be the trickiest thing to get right because there's pacing involved and you've got to make the reader feel like, you know, something is happening that's intense. So, yeah, I can see that. The music side of things, it's a little bit of a different beast because you can have a genre of lo-fi. Like, you can exemplify the fact that you don't have the greatest gear and you don't have the nicest microphone or maybe your voice isn't the best voice, but if the content in the song resonates with people, they're going to be able to kind of look past that or expect it because that's the genre. 
You know, I think that's a, a similar thing you can correlate with music is that if you're expecting pristine, perfect studio recording, multi, lots of multi-tracks, et cetera, and then you don't get that or you get that done poorly, that's what's really giving you that moment of taking you out of it, you know, interrupting the hallucination. I remember there was a song that I played you. And I played you the original version, and I played you the new version that this artist redid. Right, yeah. I, as a non-musician, hate the new version of the song because I fell in love with the original low-quality sure, yeah. production of it where she made some different choices. And when I played it for you because I was like, I wanted you to agree with me as the audio <laughs> expert, and you said, no. The new song is produced so much better than the original and her voice is so much better. But I was like, no, but it's wrong. <laughs> I think you, you're you're dealing with a, a phenomenon there with audio and the way our brains work in that when you first hear something, your brain firstly needs to find the neural pathway that connects it to something else. Otherwise, you can't really experience it. And that's why people will tell you they don't like a song until they hear it the second time. So if you keep doing that and you keep playing that low quality version or early demo version and you start, you know, assimilating that into your habits of how you listen to music and create those neural pathways for the artist to come around and change that on you is like throwing a wrench into your neural pathways. It's like, no, 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 you remember this, but you don't remember it like this. Mm -hmm. And I've had a few moments like that myself. I remember back in the early 2000s, there was a leaked version of the Koshin album that came out online and people grabbed that and I listened to it and we, my friend Jenny and I, we listened to that a lot. And then when the album came out, it was like, wow, they added a verse for this part. They changed this all up and it was a total like, whoa, what just happened to the record that we liked? I think that's a little bit of a unique scenario because you don't usually find rough drafts of books out there that get redone right? yeah yeah i mean i think that's more likely to happen with music and re-recording though there yeah. are some writers who have gone back and edited their work and republished it and rebranded it especially authors who get published by like an indie press first mm, yeah. and maybe the indie press doesn't work out or they don't make enough sales and their contract to blah 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 10 years later they might rebrand and republish the same story sure. but after a major overhaul so that's probably the biggest change you'll get in in those scenarios. And there are some young adult authors that I've actually known that have pulled their young adult stuff and republished them as new adult with spicy scenes that, you know, yeah. and, and made everyone older because their audience aged with them. And plus, so, a, a good idea is a good idea. I You know, you see similarly with music of a band might put out a bunch of demos on a small indie label and then later on revamp them and now they're you know on a big big label and that's coming out with new production and stuff like that so and again you'll find people that won't like those versions they want those originals they want their memories mm -hmm. you know well i think the reason why that particular song bothered me so much and I wanted you to agree with me so bad was because it was on one of my novel playlists. So for me, that was a song that fueled my writing. Mm. So for her to change that, and I was like, 
no and because the original version isn't on spotify anymore it's the new version she replaced instead of making it like hey demo hey new version she replaced the original version i was like oh this and now my playlist doesn't sound right (laughs) (laughs) do you want to tell people about your writing playlists just give them a bit perspective on those yeah so um for my writing the way that i work is i come up with a cover a title and a playlist all before i write the book so um on my spotify i end up posting my playlists so that people can experience the vibe that i had while i was going into writing the work it's pretty cool I mean, I can't apply that to music. I never, I mean, I shouldn't say I never. Think, I, I conceptualize things, but I don't make the cover before I write the record. <laughs> no, but I think you, for you, because music is very inherently intrinsic with my writing, right? I make a playlist, but I find that you do something very similar, but you end up consuming visual media, like yes. movies. Oh, yeah, that's very true. I definitely pull, as we've, I think we've spoke on previous podcasts, of pulling inspiration from visual media and watching films. And I, I think for me, it's putting me in a different place, which is nice because you spend a lot of time in your own brain. You're going to start regurgitating the same themes. And I tend to see that in my lyric writing. It's like, oh, no, I'm writing the same song again or at least a, a different version of it or but your title part three. your title fiasco oh yeah so that was the whole thing i'm trying to figure out a title for a new uh, drum and bass sci-fi thing that i'm trying to finish up and i'm like oh i should call it like far beyond and then i went oh no i made that album called beyond a few years ago as like a score piece so it's like oh there it is following me <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's hard as an artist to always take inspiration from your specific style of art. Yeah, that experience in, in and of itself is very insular. Because, yeah, if you're only if I'm only ever reading young adult genre books, then yeah. my creative and editor brain won't shut off and let me enjoy the story. But it's good, though, because I think all artists should consume things that are outside of their wheelhouse because it just gives you new perspectives on what you're doing and you're not part of a snake eating in its own tail of a specific genre of like young adult and getting too tropey. Or for me, with industrial music, I mean, don't even really like the term because it's such a snake eating its own tail right now. Everyone's doing the same thing over and over again. Those people should go off and listen to some different kinds of music and pull some inspiration from somewhere other than what the scene itself is doing. But what's interesting about the tropey thing is that a lot of people have come to really find comfort in that expectation and reality coming together. So, you know, from, from an artist perspective, I think for us, it makes sense that we want to fight the tide a little bit mm-hmm. but i think it's also that idea of like the one for me and the one for them right like on some level you do have to be a little bit commercial if you want yourself discovered and people should listen to our the art of comfort episode because we covered a lot of that there i'm so glad you have a better memory than i do <laughs> i may have done a little homework to make sure that we didn't get into a feedback loop of talking about the same things 
So we're very happy to be recording this new episode in a brand new podcasting area of my new studio that is free of feline distractions. For I kind better of miss or worse. Them, Yeah. <laughs> and the fact there's a Dunkin' Donuts down the street so that I get to sit here and drink some Dunkins. Are you excited to have your own office space? Yes and no. I think having my own office intimidates me a little bit because I feel like I need to go in there and create grandeur. I I can't agree with you more because I built this space up from pretty much scratch and I put a lot of effort into making it as perfect as possible and having a brand new custom built desk, you know, acoustically treated and then I come in and go, oh no. Now there's this expectation. Yeah. Great things must come out of here. Yeah, because my my office has a reading nook, a writing nook, and an art nook. And I have done barely nothing in there. I, I say that, but I did publish Carter Ortiz's Trouble, and before we moved, I did publish Break Free. It's weird. I've published two books this year. It doesn't feel like it. It's been a weird time for us. <laughs> I, on the other hand, have only put out one one or two little singles now, I think, right? Did yeah, it. but you've been doing a lot of engineering and stuff, so. Yeah, and plus it's the summer, and I never really feel intensely creative when the sun's out i like it a little when it's a little darker yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's interesting because i think the the winter and the fall for us really does bring out that creativity i particularly love when that first blanket of snow lays on the ground and the world just gets to that quiet If you all don't live in a place where it snows, you need to experience that at least once in your lifetime. I promise you, it's a game changer. (laughs) And with that, I'll say thanks for listening and sticking with us and coming back around to our podcast after our little hiatus. Next time on the podcast, we are going to have a little debate over instinct versus natural talent versus is there a thing as prodigies? Mm. Yes. Stay tuned for that. And until then, have a happy fall. Yeah. See you all soon. Thank you for listening to the Right Sound Podcast. This podcast was produced by The Cell Studio with theme music by Colin C.